Hi, everyone. Today, me and Tete are going to be talking about something that we wanted to talk about for some time. And this is about how Arda Jan, my character, has influenced her to explore male sexuality without safe gloves and falling back on a lot of tropes. Um, in particular, we wanted to talk about one role play that we did all the way back in 2016 or 2017. Can't really remember properly. But basically, it was between Natalia, which is one of her old characters, and Ardayan. And Ardayan was challenging her on a lot of things. And I think that was kind of the gateway to creating better and more realistic male characters, right? Yes, yes, it was. I you know, this, this role play was definitely, if you will, the, um, as I said in the live preview, it was definitely the road to Damascus. It was a transformative, pivotal role play that really opened my eyes. And uh, it, it's, it, how do I say it was, it was such a, it was such a pivotal role play. It really was. Absolutely. So what really stuck out to you about it? Was it how Ardayan was dismantling a lot of Natalia's beliefs? Um, I think that was one of them. I think that was the main uh, driving force. I think the other driving force was uh, seeing a sort of raw, sympathetic humanity emerge out of a character that I had previously dismissed as irredeemable, unlikable, and unsavory. Mm -hmm. And what was this humanity? I think it was the fact that I think he realized the vulnerability of you know a, a human soul's fate i think he recognized the uh, existential futility of a lot of things as well as the fact that there is a lot of sorrow and frustration contained within that futility of existence and the fact of it is that he's trying his best to you know fight for some sort of semblance of individuality and some sort of idea of happiness. And that was the raw, you know, sympathetic humanity I saw emerge out of, you know, the, the layers and cockles of uh, Ardayan's, uh, Ardayan's self. Right, exactly. And I'm going to be showing you guys pictures of Natalia because I just realized you guys probably don't know what he, she looks like. Okay, so I can't search for some reason it's forcing me to join but okay natalia and i would have normally been doing this but deviantart is worse on my end it really is people don't the deviantart you knew as a kid from 2012 it's not the same anymore right i think this is one of the drawings that you did for the role play and yes. so basically what the role play was about was natalia who is the skeletal looking woman in the afterlife and in the afterlife, which looks a lot like, you know, a Grish, Grishin kind of thing, you know, kind of like antiquity. And basically, he, she's trying to redeem herself from, you know, being this bitter, embittered, kind of mean and stingy woman who didn't enjoy anything. So she's learning how to overcome her flaws, um, you know, under the wing of an older woman called Ioli. And I guess what happens is that she interacts with a new person who joins the afterlife, who is my character shown here, who is Katya. Yes, yes. This was another role play that was absolutely fantastic. And I think it, I, I think it was a turning point for Natalia to actually be humanly decent and actually give back and actually form a friendship rather than being a whiny, 
embittered entitled brat. Right. Because one of the problems is that Natalia before in her story with Lara, she was just always taking and never giving. Exactly. She always took, she never gave, she never contributed. Um, but now here she is giving and she volunteers to give and, and she's actually a decent for once. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Yes. Right. And um, yes, another thing is that let's show the pictures of Natalia and Lara. So here's one of them. Here, here's another. Okay, I will show this one first. So basically, this is Lara, and yes. he was her love interest. And in many ways, he was very idealized. He was very idealized. He, um, aside, I mean, there were points where he did have his flaws. It was mostly his hubris and flamboyance, uh, which Lara will always have. He'll always be flamboyant. Um, but otherwise, in Natalia's eyes, he was just this perfect prince who gave everything to her. And it was even worse than a lot of bodice rippers. I mean, Lara was worse than a bodice ripper. <laughs> right. I'm trying to look for that picture where she tries to scratch it, but I couldn't see it probably because I'm not logged in. And the new DVR makes it really impossible for someone who's not logged in to see mature content. I see where it is because I, I do remember that one and I I actually saw it today and it frustrates me because I know which one that is. I wonder if you type in Lara. Right. I think I can't see it because it's mature content. Oh, rats. That's probably why. But that yeah, was, here's was... one of him being, you know, a prince. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and like let's see another guessing. one. Uh, I guess oh, this one's this okay, one. but there was one where, oh yeah, this one, this was when he sacrificed himself for her. Yes. How terrible. <laughs> oh, gosh, boy, this brings back a lot of memories. I'm going to draw like this again. Yeah. So here near the final conclusion of the series after Natalia defeated a rival intent on claiming Dina, which is their adopted daughter's soul and spiriting away Lara for her, the rival's own exploit. Natalia willingly enters the fray of defeating her rival. And then what happens is that Lara realizes he can exchange his own humanity for Natalia's condemnation. And he, he takes the heavy price of becoming something more terrifying and warped than Natalia due to his greater and weightier transgression against, you know, whatever. And then basically, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I misread, so I couldn't finish the rest of the sentence, but yes. Um, so what's happening here is that um, Natalia did something and then uh, Lara had to save her. So then he had to sacrifice himself. And then that was a greater transact transaction, sort of like, you know, full metal alchemist, you know, that was something that was really like a big deal in their universe. So then what happens is that he has to give up a lot of stuff and he becomes, you know, he goes from a very handsome dancer like man to this demonic, creepy, really scary looking uh, creature that's even worse looking than Natalia, as you said. Yeah, it's it's frightening. I can't believe I, I used to have a good imagination for drawing. And uh, yeah, I think I was really influenced by Full Metal Alchemist because I, I was a I'm still kind of am, but back then I was really hitting hard on Full Metal Alchemist. There was a Full Metal Alchemist fanatic, an absolute zealot. Right, absolutely. And I can kind of see a little bit of the Lord Frost here. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like it seems like the Lord Frost, he's always appearing somewhere. These 
these these strangely bony cadavers fellas mm-hmm, absolutely oh here's another one of you know natalia being very creepy yeah she is i just realized natalia would be uh, a, gr- a great design for creepy pasta but I, I guess more of an elegant version of creepy pasta mm-hmm, absolutely but yes back to the original point so the problem with Natalia was that it was very wish fulfillment in that she could get away with anything pretty much. And, you know, Lara just did everything for her and she did barely anything for him in return. She did. She did the bare minimum. I mean, I can't really think of anything that she did um, that was very uh, conducive or helpful or, or anything. Well, that mm-hmm. one. Yeah, this one is where he praises her for actually trying to look a little bit better. That's true. That's where he does. And this is where she kind of helps him after. It was a weird story. (laughs) Yeah, his species changed. So Lara, originally, he was um, a fox, but then (laughs) he became a human. And that was one of the first steps he took as a human. Exactly. That was a very, um, you know, it was very surreal. Now that I think about it, I'm not sure what possessed me to write that, but um i think for the most part that was the only time natalia ever did anything um positive for lara but then she was being very negative about it she was and i i can't see it unfortunately because of the whole mature content thing but there's one where she's scratching his face and attacking him because she he tried to kiss her i think right yes he was trying to kiss her and unfortunately she got furious i mean at first she was kind of surrendering surrendering herself to the kiss but then she realized you know she was actually kissing him and then she got angry and clawed his face exactly and then i how did he react was he actually open to it or something like i mean he was okay with it like he wasn't that angry at her he was just sad like he was just very sad and hurt and he just walked away Mm-hmm. yeah that makes sense yeah well, my god poor Lara he had, he had he had the worst ever right which is this one does it talk about are they on here like an old wound opening up again oh, let me see I'm trying to see uh... oh no it's just about her being training under Ioli her mentor Yes, exactly. This is the one where Ioli's telling her to, this is like one of her first times where she's in with the Furies and Ioli's telling her to grow up. Mm-hmm, absolutely. So kind of like Ardayan, because Ardayan actually challenged her to grow up, didn't he? He really did, because Natalia was the most immature, entitled, horrible brat ever. Mm-hmm, she was. And I guess the original excuse was that it was because she had this medical condition that made her look kind of monstrous. Yes, she had um, like this really, really severe thyroid condition that just made her super bony and thin and made her eyes pop out. And she was like, you know, and then she had all sorts of other problems, like she had a bone disease and everything, and it made her back all crooked and made her look really old and you know she just made her very bitter because she felt you know in the eyes of the world and I guess in the vanity of Venetian society in the 18th century uh, really hideous right exactly and we kind of joked about this but in a way because she was so focused on how ugly she was which was the whole driving force of the story what what happened was that she kind of 
unfortunately became kind of like a femme cell, like a female incel. She did. She was like a femme cell. And uh, that was, <laughs> I still don't, I, 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 I am amazed that I, I let someone like poor Lara within 10 feet of her. I know, and she was so angry, just like the incels. By the way, if you guys are looking at the screen on the big screen, you will see that I have something here called involuntary celibacy. And it's because I was trying to learn about how incels or involuntary celibacy works in terms of astrology. Like, what makes people like that? Exactly, because um, it's, it's, a, it's a negative thing. Let's just say that. It's negative, folks. It is. And it's an over-focus on something that you don't really have to focus on that much. You know, this obsession with looks, which the incels are also obsessed with, because they think that the reason that no one likes them romantically is because they don't, they're not six feet tall and they don't have like killer cheekbones or something. Yeah, exactly. And this, this is so wrong. I mean, what it is, is it all boils down to, you know, conduct, character, conviction, and and um, who you are as a person, that's what matters. Exactly. And unfortunately, Natalia, like, I think what you were trying to imply was that, oh, people judge her because she is not attractive. But unfortunately, she has no character either. She's just whiny and, you know, very spoiled and, you know, valiant towards people who want to be close to her, like Lara. Exactly. I mean, in many ways, this, maybe this was sort of a, you know, if, if we look at it, um, it's, it's very much, maybe it's, maybe it's a study of victimhood because, you know, people say, oh, I'm this way because people judge me. But then you would like to say, because the real observation is no, you're just that way because you have no character. Absolutely. But yes. So I think Natalia had a lot of problems and what Arda Young was trying to say was that she was hiding all her problems and just using the victim card all the time. Exactly. That's what she had been doing. Unfortunately, she always used that. She was always so filled with anger and just the most spiteful, nasty little thing. And there, there was nothing redeeming about her whatsoever. I mean, there was nothing likable about her. Um, she was positively abhorrent. Absolutely. Yes. And I think it kind of drove away some people why she was the main character. What was, what about her was worth redeeming? That's true. There was, there was nothing. And she didn't even, she didn't even um, think about getting redeemed. It was like, oh, I just want to get back to my human form or I don't want to be a monster anymore. And then um, after a while, she started to say, you know what? I like being a monster. I'm just going to be a, be a monster and meme. And so she really had no no focus or at first I thought her acceptance was development but no it's just Natalia being a mean brat right right absolutely and another issue was that she was using the afterlife as a kind of escapism which you know I think Ardayan really deconstructed I think he did I think he pretty much uh he he not only deconstructed it but uh he he kind of kicked away the crutch that she was using because I think he could see right through her what kind of person she was even like as a human what kind of what kind of person she was yes absolutely and I think he saw that she was an escapist someone who had a lot of flaws but then she really liked to make herself some kind of victim so she didn't have to change anything about herself exactly I think that's why a lot of people fall into the trap of victimhood 
and choose to remain there even once they may start to realize it because they don't want to change. They're, they may either be scared to change, they may either be refusing to change, or they may just have no desire whatsoever to make the effort of changing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so this is the story you wrote about the exchange, remember? So that's the, the illustration of Lara becoming a monster. This is the description for it. Yes, he was, was once a man of striking athleticism, but now he is warped and ravaged into something much more distorted than Natalia ever was. The very substance of nightmares. <laughs> right. And this is a little bit like Lord Frost, which we will get into in another podcast that we're recording tonight. And we will be releasing before the end of November 2021. Yes, yes, we will be. Uh, a lot, lots of lots of commonalities with these monstrous men or monstrous looking men, anyway. Yeah, like I always felt like they are monstrous looking, but then on the inside they're just so wholesome and so prince like. That's true. Maybe that's. I think that's a. Um, I think unfortunately that was always been a soft spot I had was for that that sort of male character. I don't know why. Is it because it's like Beauty and the Beast? Oh God, you know what? I think it is. I think it is like Beauty and the Beast. And no matter how old I get, that's always going to be a trouble. I'll, I'll be like 99 and, you know, kind of teetering around on a hovercraft because we'll probably have hovercraft wheelchairs by then. And I'll say, you know, I still think that Beauty and the Beast trope still slaps hard, yo. <laughs> right, absolutely. So yes, so this is Natalia. And what happened was that I think Natalia herself was also afraid of real male sexuality, right? Because we're, we're talking about male sexuality in this episode. <laughs> and I think what happened was that she was starting to get attracted to Ardayan, right? Yes, yes, she was. I mean, there was something because Ardayan challenged her and made her think and kind of grow up for the first time uh she began to feel attracted towards him and she saw a raw like i said a raw sympathetic humanity emerge from him and she felt uh she felt drawn to it and she thought you know i'd like to improve myself so i can be as clear-sighted as ardayan i would like to get closer to him because i i think she had been craving to meet someone like Ardayan because believe it or not a lot of people around Natalia just enabled her I think so definitely especially her mother her mother was definitely an enabler um especially by kind of disabling her you know especially um a lot of the toxic things that Natalia's mother did um and then of course Natalia's father enabled her because he just kind of um kind of pampered her into this kind of not victimhood but he pampered her like oh you're always right dear and you know you're such a little queen and he just kind of bloated herself of self-narcissism absolutely and i think Ardayan's the first one to not do this i mean even people like ioli and all these other women like one of them is shown here for example all these women in the afterlife they kind of pandered to natalia right because they were so nice to her, even though she was so mean. They did. I mean, some of them, a lot of them are telling her to grow up, but um, they're not, they're, they're doing it with kid gloves. And Natalia needs, you know, a very hard slap to the face of reality. Right. And I think 
kid gloves is an interesting comparison because I feel like before Arda Young emerged, all of your male characters were pretty much, you know, kid gloves. They were, they were in kid gloves. So they were all like just these perfect wholesome princes. Like, I don't know, like, I guess like the, the bargain budget Christian version of Jane Austen, (laughs) as terrifying as that sounds, that wholesome. That's sickeningly wholesome. So it's pretty much those Christian romance novels, right? Yeah, it's like, I don't know, Karen Kingsbury and all that other, Beverly, what's her name? I forget. Anyway, Amish romances, I guess. It's Amish romance. Mm -hmm, Absolutely. So that was how it was like. And another problem is that the man was basically just there as a deus ex machina pretty much that's what the man had always been doing he was always the deus ex machina he was always um providing the solutions to the problems supporting not even supporting but just enabling the quote-unquote heroine and being a wonderful prince and giving to her everything she ever wanted and um sacrificing so much for her even though in reality they never the, the the heroine never gave back to him Absolutely, exactly. So yes, so that was the problem. And Ardayan challenged all of that. So that enabled you to see male sexuality in another light. It did. It 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 made me see it in another light. It made me see it. Um uh it it also it also made me see male characters in a new light too. Like for somebody to be honest and sort of really take off the kid gloves and slap you with reality. That wasn't a bad thing that was a good thing and that there had to be some kind of rough candor there had to be some sort of wake up to the reality of things um rather than just being gentle and you know oh they're there you know that sort of thing um like like lara did <laughs> so arda young was the uh, clear opposite of all the stuff that lara did so he was anti-lara <laughs> Absolutely. And now I'm going to share a picture that I did um, of these two for a comic. Uh, Well, actually not a comic. It was like a one page thing. It was more like an illustration for our RP. And it's also the thumbnail for this podcast episode. So here it is. Can you see it? I do. I see it. Boy, does this bring back memories, folks. This is ye old. Yes. And so I, I remember whipping this up basically right after we finished our RP. And well, thank you, Ardayon. I didn't expect you to save me of all people. I don't remember, but he saved her. I don't remember that. I'm trying to think. Was it what? What was he saving her from? Was it was it the demons or something? Yeah, I think so. Because I know the the other story you wrote. He became a giant because he wanted to attack Katya. So, does he do something else before that? Like he was fighting some some demons to save uh, well, Natalia. No, I, I, i think i think this was um i think this was after and then he was like he was just hanging around being a normal guy like he wasn't a giant anymore and he was hanging around i think i mean this is ye old folks i mean we're talking about five years ago i mean holy crap that was a long time um oh boy um i'm trying to remember i think what it was i think this was after the kachi incident and he just wanted to like hang around and pester Natalia. And I guess Natalia was still mad at him because he nearly killed her. And 
then they made up and i think i think he was defending her against some sort of like that that demon lord that wanted to get at the furies remember oh right exactly yeah i think that was what happened so i guess he saved her and they have a conversation and i think she realizes that he's right about so many things even though he is so mean to her that's true that's true i mean even despite his being mean to her it's actually in some ways a kindness because he's waking her up out of her toxic dysfunction and um you know that that sort of made me realize something too what we could perceive as meanness is actually a kindness and because the intent is to strive towards truth or self-improvement or you know at the very least at least truth that's true yeah so this this was another thing that made me more open to what a lot of people would consider the shortcomings of a male character and that in turn you know was also part of the um, accepting male sexuality that's true it, before did you see male sexuality as a flaw i i didn't well i saw it as a flaw because of what it entailed like for me male sexuality seemed threatening it seemed violence like you know men just wanted sex for their own pleasure and you know they were going to do devious things to get that pleasure like you know hurt or harm a woman or control and manipulate a woman and then the woman suffers the consequences like pregnancies, STDs, or emotional and physical trauma and manipulation and gaslighting. And that, and, and that stemmed from a lot of different complications. And some of the things I had seen in real life, not that I personally experienced that, I did not, but I saw people who did. And I had to come to terms that it wasn't the sexuality of a male, but it was the male itself. It was the distortion of the person themselves, their character, not the, not the uh, concept existing as sexuality. So right. Exactly. Yeah. I think a lot of people, unfortunately, don't ever really understand this. And it's just easier for them to make a blanket statement. It is. It's easier to make a, a blanket general statement. Um, it's easy to lump things together and to see things as a threat because a lot of times you don't have time to assess something and you're like an animal running. So it's like, oh, you see this, you just run and just throw it away. You just run. You just drop it like a hot potato or a grenade and run as fast as you can. Right. And I think Ardayan, what caught your attention about him was that he was one of the most obviously sexual men they had because most of the other ones, they weren't really focused on that part of their lives. No, no, they were. No one really was uh, with your characters up at this point. And Ardayan at first abhorred me. I thought, this is a horrible man. Screw that. Screw that guy. But then the more I saw him and the more I saw his griefs, his sorrows, and his, his intentions that unfortunately life denied him, you know, I saw that there was this very sympathetic, very human man. And it, it really made me see the human soul of, of someone I, I would have normally just dismissed as a horrible human being. True. Ardayan also, he had a very different storyline than what he has now, because now he's more lighthearted in Semi New York. But in Blue Star and the other previous reiterations, he had a pretty tragic backstory because, you know, he became the victim of a communist purge. That's true, he did. I mean... 
in some ways, you know what, I actually appreciate the, um, the depth and gravity of the tragedy of, of his original story, you know, because I, I think that was a reality many people faced. And um, it, it was, it was very heartbreaking. Um, although that said, I, I am glad he's in New York selling a, having a questionable bookshop now. <laughs> right, because otherwise there's no way to integrate him with the rest of my newer characters. No, no, there's not. I mean, we can always just say, this was a bad dream he had. Like, huh, this is what would happen if I would have stayed in the regime, you know? Right, exactly. And then he meets Natalia in a dream within a dream. Within a dream. Oh my gosh, it's like that movie. What was it called? Conception. Inconception. Inception. Inception, yes. <laughs> yeah, it was 11 years ago. I can't, can't, like, I can't believe it. <laughs> I know. But you know what? Just looking at your illustration of Ardayan and Natalia, it reminds me of these cool illustrations um, from the series, Are You Scared? And honestly, Natalia looks so creepy pasta in this, in this illustration, doesn't she? She does. Yeah, Natalia, she's a prime candidate for creepy pasta if it ever revives itself. Right, exactly. So yeah, we explored a lot of things about how Natalia evolved and how, you know, I think Ardayan really helps you to see a different way, you know, to access and understand um, male sexuality. So I guess we'll reveal this in a different episode in the future, but just to kind of lay the background, what about Joel? Is Joel like the final piece to this puzzle? I think he is. I think he's the complete and consummate culmination of the male sexuality as a normal positive force that is not only a definitive part of a man's personality, but a, a ways that a man can express himself through that, that it's not just a means of pleasure or reproduction or whatever have you, but a means of intimacy and self-expression and a means of, of conveying the sense of self to others and to the, and to oneself. Mm-hmm. So is that why you were against Joel being a eunuch, as I said yeah. in, in RP? Definitely, definitely. I I um I oppose a thousand percent to Joel ever being remotely eunuchish. And I would put a sign that has a circle with a with a slash on it saying no no eunuchism allowed. <laughs> I was curious as to why you were against it, because at that point, when I first told you, yeah, he is like that, you know, I don't think he will ever have any romantic encounters in his life. You were saying, oh, you know, you were always saying that the Frost Lord was kind of like that. So I was curious why you were doing it for the Frost Lord, but you didn't want it for Joel. I think it was a desperate cry for help. I really didn't want the Frost Lord to be like this. I was just afraid because... We all know the problems that exist within fantasy. I don't care if that makes people mad. There's problems. Everybody needs to reevaluate these problems within the fantasy community. I was afraid of weird stuff happening to the poor Frost Lord. And I didn't know how to portray it. I was scared. I was like, mm, I know it's not scary anymore, I said to myself. But I said, how do you positively portray it? And then I was like, Let's see what happens with Joel. We saw it with Ardayan, but Ardayan was kind of messed up and did a lot of mistakes. And 
the Frost Lord isn't as bad off as Ardayan. I mean, the Frost Lord's trying his hardest to do good and be a good leader and, you know, dad figure. And I thought, well, um, Joel has potential. I want to see what happens with Joel. And I was like, carry on, young man. Westward, young man. Westward. Right, right. Exactly. So I guess one of the reasons why I it caught my attention, this kind of discussion about limiting the male sexuality is because, well, I mean, if it wasn't part of their story, it wouldn't have caught my attention. For example, you know, Ben, I guess he is kind of like that, but then it doesn't really matter because that's not the focus of his storyline. I guess why it caught my attention for the Frost Lord was because, you know, his pairing with Gerda was at the center front. And yet, like you were always saying, oh, but you know, this can't happen. This can't happen because blah, blah. And then it just felt like I wasn't really sure what you were trying to get at. Like you were trying to have the whole package, but then there was something holding you back. I think it's because I was scared. I didn't know how to do it um, positively. I was um, grasping at straws, grasping at a rope in the dark I couldn't find. And I wanted all the it's like I, I, Gerda and Gerda and the Frost Lord, I always felt were going to be together, or at least Gerda and Kai, because the Frost Lord was, like I said, originally going to be human named Kai, and he was going to be a very flawed and bittered man. But there were many events that happened that unfortunately did total erasure with Kai. He got lost for a very, very long time, which is probably why he's been very mad at me and not allowing me to write him. Um, but I always felt like Gerda and this this very bitter weird looking dude uh were meant to be together this is what they kind of channeled to me if you will and but i didn't know how to do it i i had no idea how to do good healthy relationships or anything right so that was why you relied on the whole contrast thing right i did and i was trying to like make it into a very cute fairy tale thing you know very wholesome and you know, have them do all sorts of crazy events like, oh, there was this battle and, oh, th- there's this, um, oh no, a betrayal by our closest friend. He wants to do this um, bad thing. And then, oh, we got to save, we got to save the the boys and like, and we got to save the world. And then I was just trying to, rather than explore a relationship, I was just having them go on all these adventures and do like D&D magic stuff. And then that was going to, you know, draw them together, right? Yeah, them going through all this stuff, like, you know, harrowing adventures and, you know, near-death experiences and, you know, trying to save the world from, you know, obliteration by dark magic and stuff. I mean, oh my gosh, it kind of sounds like the freaking, uh, sounds like the premise for the second season of The Witcher, which is dropping soon. Oh no. Right. And we're going to discuss this more in detail in our next episode, which is about, you know, not using couples as a crutch anymore. Exactly. It's a terrible crutch. And I think a lot of us use that, unfortunately, whether or not we don't realize it. It's like people who say they're going to be on a diet and then suddenly they find themselves opening that bag of chips. That's what it's like. Right. I think the problem isn't so much that you have a lot of couples, which is not a problem. The problem was that, as we discussed, you were not really exploring the characters as people in themselves. You were just using the contrast between, you know, this person and their partner as, you know, in lieu of actual character development. Exactly. And ignoring the other people, other relationships and 
the world around them because it, it all felt very empty and and flat. I mean, that's what I was depicting. It was pretty vibrant in my head, but what an author has in their head and what they give out to the audience are two very different things. Absolutely. And, you know, there was a discrepancy. And I think that's what happens when you don't consistently put out content. It was the same with me. Like, I always thought I couldn't create anything because I had ideas inside my head, but I couldn't turn them into a story. It wasn't until I joined Tapas that, you know, I was really pushing myself to actually start getting things out there, not just random pictures. Exactly. I Tapas really helped you grow. Um, and I think it, I think it did for me as well, because I think when I left, when I made the choice after really being disappointed in DeviantArt um, this past April, um, you know, I realized there was no place for me to grow as a writer and I, I wanted to grow and it was restraining me. And uh, I'm very thankful you introduced me to Tapas because now I want to write more. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So yes, thank you so much for this episode. And in our next episode that we're releasing for national, what, what does NaNoWriMo stand for again? National, national November or something? National, national November Writing Month, folks. Yes, yes. For NaNoWriMo 2021, we're going to be releasing a stream of videos for you to watch, mostly focusing on Teche's journey as she moved from DeviantArt to Tapas and from older characters like Natalia to her current roster of characters. Exactly, exactly. And if you guys thought Natalia was cool... Don't worry, she's back, but in a very strange way. But you'll you'll really appreciate her her new incarnation. And we already kind of discussed her before. It's Tamara. Yes, it's Tamara, our tattoosy, our tattooshenka, and um, she does have a lot of Natalia's traits. But obviously, she's a better human being. And the more we explore, the more we find out that Tattoosia, despite her toxic flaws, is actually a very caring individual. Absolutely, which we did not really get to see with Natalia. No, no, we didn't. I mean, it's it's amazing how Tatuzia is so different. She does give a lot. I mean, look how much she's given to Andre. Mm-hmm. We'll be talking about Natalia versus Tatuzia in a future podcast. Yes. Yes, we will, folks. Look out for that. All right. See you next time. See you. Bye. Bye.